Can what we eat influence what or how well we think? We'll find out. In this hour, we're speaking with the author of a new book on how to eat to support optimal brain health. Brain Food, the smartest diet for your mind. Today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We've had an amazing episode a while back on longevity foods, foods that can support us in our aging process and are key to maintaining optimal physical and mental functions. We asked the author to return with a new book focusing on the optimal support for the mind, brain food, the smartest diet for your mind. That and more in this hour. But as always, we're starting the hour off with our week's review. Sita, what do you got? Well, this is a tough one to wrap my mind around. There has been a phenomenal article published on ProPublica, ProPublica.org. It was a joint investigation between Justin Elliott from ProPublica and Laura Sullivan from NPR, who went down to find out what happened with the half billion dollars that the Red Cross raised in an effort to help restore Haiti after the 2010 earthquakes. And now after lots of questioning of the Red Cross and jumping through hoops and a lot of information that couldn't seem verifiable, these two journalists, Justin Elliott and Laura Sullivan, went down to Haiti to investigate what had actually been done with this half billion dollars and have found that Red Cross has built six homes with this money. Their goal was to build 700. Of course, that's not the whole story. I mean, they've been using the money not just to build shelters, but also to help with health and emergency relief and, and teaching better disaster preparation in schools and, you know, working on the civic in infrastructure. But the, the controversy around this subject is that with the money that they raised, proportionately what they've been able to do to help people and communities in Haiti is astoundingly below expectations. And they've spoken with other people who've raised money to support causes in similar situations and how much more they were able to convert in a certain time period. And looking at the numbers of how much the Red Cross spent on overhead versus going directly to the, the Haitians, with half a billion dollars, you would think so much more could be accomplished. It's a lot of money you can do a lot of good with. Yeah. And of course, the Red Cross is defending itself and pointing fingers to others saying that they gave money to local groups to build those houses and that those groups took out, you know, a piece of every dollar. And actually, if you really look at that statement, that is even more embarrassing because you as the money source need to give the money with a set of counting with some kind of accountability benchmarks to say, here are the things we are accomplishing. And this is how we're going to check in. And this is the reports we require. So it is entirely the responsibility of the, the organization that takes money, in this case, the Red Cross. And it just confirms this kind of weird aftertaste that I'm sure we all had who have given money to disaster relief and and organizations working around the globe you never know how much money is ends up in overhead you never know how much money really reaches the people be it a benefit concert or be it an organization that is as well established for as long as the red cross has been it's just it's sad and it's disappointing and it doesn't encourage future giving 
And I don't know why we can't have a federal investigation that, you know, I'm not saying this is a criminal act, but half a billion dollars should have been able to make a huge impact in Haiti with the people that, that really need it. And the report clearly shows when when these reporters were showing what the Red Cross is stating to the people in Haiti, they fell over backwards. They said none of what is claimed to be done has been done. There's no roads, there's no infrastructure there's no sewage system, there's definitely no houses, there's no schools. So half a billion dollars can go far in this country and can go very far in other developing countries such as Haiti. And yeah, six houses, it's just a hope. The organization can be held accountable to a different degree and not just in an article pointing this out and then we let it go. I know nonprofits need to get audited or are getting audited regularly. So one will hope there's more to the story soon coming up out I've, of this. There's definitely going to be. I mean, this is this is a major, too much money to major let it controversy. Slide. We had a great show just a couple of weeks back with Zane Wildman, the founder and executive director of CTC International, an organization that works in Kenya and the Rift Valley with um, economic empowerment projects where they have established it themselves as one of the largest or the largest employer now after a few years of starting this, bringing money in ongoingly, not in a donation kind of way, but through the production of crafts and goods who then will get sold, for example, at Whole Foods, coffee coasters, mm-hmm. um, the sleeves that you get. So it is it is absolutely possible with a fraction of the money to change the lives of, in this case, 65,000 people in Africa and Kenya. So it's it's heartbreaking half a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So we hope we'll hear more about that and what the cross intends to do about it. And we'll stay on top of it for you. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And speaking of doing the right thing, we are talking about brain food, the smartest diet for your mind. Today, our focus in this hour, that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned for more. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today we are speaking with an expert about the most supportive way of eating for optimal brain function. What foods to consider, how these foods work, and the best and most delicious tips and recipes to integrate them into your daily diet. That's our topic in this hour. But before we dive into this fully, here is our very own Sita Rani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita and her holistic bite. 
Well, I've spent a good amount of time talking about smoothies for breakfast in my holistic bite, as have thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people talked about smoothies at breakfast time. But there are a lot of people out there who want something hot and hearty for breakfast. That doesn't necessarily mean that smoothies aren't for you. At 3 p.m., when your blood sugar drops and your focus drops and you need something that's going to energize you, the most common thing that I grab for and a lot of people I know grab for is that 3 p.m. coffee or that 3 p.m. baked good. But this might be just the perfect time for a green smoothie. And I had a wonderful smoothie made um, just a couple of weeks ago by a, a Bowman graduate. Her name is Anna Frumkin, and she has a wonderful business. It's called Green Glow Love. That's her business here in San Francisco. And her green smoothie was unlike any that I'd ever had before. It was delicious. It was sweet. It was refreshing. And it had greens, coconut water, banana, cinnamon, and spice. Spearmint. And there was this thing that happened with the spice and warmth of the cinnamon and the, the freshness of the spearmint that made this really, really satisfying and energizing. And even if all of those ingredients don't necessarily come together well for you, you could do a green smoothie that had peanut butter in it. You could do a green smoothie that had frozen pineapple and cilantro for a tropical treat. But the thing about this is it's refreshing. It's filled with nutrients. You've got your iron and your chlorophyll, which are both great for your blood. And it's it's just going to give you nutrients that support what you need to stay focused for the rest of your day. So instead of reaching for the caffeine, reaching for the sugar, if you don't do smoothies for breakfast, think about them at three o'clock in the afternoon. Let us know what you make. And uh, that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. Wonderful. Yes, smoothies. And it's so true. There is this afternoon lull in your blood sugar Mm. or mood or energy level. It's maybe a habit at this point, but you are craving something, right? You're bored. It's almost (laughs) you need some kind of energy boost, stimuli, alternative. You've been three hours since you had lunch. So great, great idea. It may even be an interesting thing to talk to Rebecca about when we have her on the air in just a little bit, because I wonder if maybe it has to do with the foods that you've eaten before, or if it's just the natural rhythms of how we focus that we need something at three o'clock. But I'm going to make a concerted effort. I mean, I don't have a problem with smoothies for breakfast. I actually usually do a smoothie for breakfast, but um, on the days that I don't, or even on the days that I do, three o'clock might be the perfect time for another. Why don't we ask her? Good question. Now with us is one of the most regarded experts on the topic of functional foods. She is the author of several books, author of The Longevity Kitchen. We had her on the show. I think the episode was called Eat Well, Live Long, Food for Longevity. And also the book, The Cancer-Fighting Kitchen, One Bite at a Time. It's Rebecca Katz. And her new book, The Healthy Mind Cookbook, is our focus in this hour. Rebecca, are you with us? I am. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such a treat to circle back to you as really the the queen of functional foods. It's you know, f- food is one of the the center points, of course, of this show. Even though we go in some topics beyond that, but we always come back to the most empowered self to be the most loving version of yourself. And functional foods, whether that's high age or in this case 
optimal mental health is really what empowers us. We are given this body, and if, if it's not well nourished and cared for, we can't be our most loving self. So it's wonderful to have you back with your new book, The Healthy Mind Cookbook. And just to start with that, it's Rebecca Katz, Rebecca K-A-T-Z dot com, your website. Welcome to the show. And Sita, you had a question from the three o'clock lull that we talked about well, before. Well, this, this segue was really perfect. And I didn't actually plan it this way. But we were talking about what happens at 3 p.m. when you need to go get a cup of coffee or a cookie or something in order to keep yourself focused enough to get through the rest of the workday. And Helga said, you know what? I'll bet Rebecca has something to say about this because this is what your latest book is about. It's about brain function, mood, memory, mental clarity. So what can you tell us about this thing that happens at 3 that just drives us to go get caffeine or sugar? The brain definitely needs fuel. And certainly after lunch, you're digesting your food, the blood is going to your stomach, doing a lot of work, and you're trying to focus. And then 3 o'clock comes along and you're, you're still like a little bit in that lull. The natural inclination is you want to go for a cup of coffee or something sweet that's the way you feel like you're going to wake up, perk up. But actually, what the brain really could use for some really good mental clarity is something in the nuts and seed family, because you want good fat, good fat, a little bit of protein, and nuts and seeds have that wonderful trio of calcium and magnesium and potassium and they're mood boosters. So I could give you some examples since I like I'm a self-described culinary translator. Well, let's um, dive let's dive in, into that really what foods in in just a minute Rebecca. This was such a good start to say that, you know, when 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 this afternoon lull comes for me, I don't do refined sugar really ever. We don't even have it at our house. And yet it's the one time where I do go for the coffee and I do put you know real sugar in it because honey and coffee doesn't work for me and I don't like it and to hear that actually what the brain really needs is fat it's it's such a perfect segue to do the official real in <laughs> intro we had a wonderful episode with you a few months back on longevity foods you really have focused on the functions of food what do they do what does a diet do for you in this case to promote long life now you've kind of shifted or added to that focus, your focus on brain function. Why? What was the motivator for you to particularly look at the optimal balance and health and the mood of the, of the mind? Well, when I was researching the Longevity Kitchen, I did touch on the brain briefly. Yes. But the amount of information that started to come out regarding brain and food was starting to escalate at such a pace <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. It was like it's like watching the first astronauts go into space. That we are just looking at the brain as this organ that actually has a life that cells regenerate, neurogenesis, that food, what we eat, affects how we feel. It has a big effect on our memories and um Certainly, feeding the brain correctly has a lot to do with also how we're going to function later in our lives. So a great deal of 
how we're going to be 30 years from now has to do with what, how we're feeding our brains hmm. in the present time. That is and, so fascinating to hear because when even just 15 years ago when I studied holistic nutrition, and of course we dispelled the myth that there's a blood-brain barrier, we now know there isn't whatever you know in, you ingest, whatever you are treated to, the brain is affected by it, but you're taking it way further by saying it is an organ just as nourished or that needs to be nourished just as your kidney, your liver, your, your skin. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that true? That's yes, what the research is showing? That's exactly what you're hearing. What? The brain is just like you would be nourishing your heart and everything else. Why is that? Is um, With longevity, foods really one of the key red threats that you were talking about was inflammation and reducing inflammation as kind of the precursor of almost all diseases to some degree. Is that the same for the brain? Or why? what is the main connection between nourishment and brain health? Well, certainly inflammation we're finding plays a big role in how the brain functions and how nerves function and certainly how our memories are preserved. So inflammation and just how nerves start, you know, neurons are interacting with one another and whether you are creating the environment in the brain where you can regenerate neurons that are dying. I mean, it's very interesting because our brains are made of 60% fat and they contain 100 billion neurons. That's a lot of neurons. As we get older, those neurons die and it was thought that that's it, they're gone, right? Mm -hmm. But we're realizing, no, they can be regenerated. What's happening in our brain has a lot to do with what's happening in our guts And what's happening in our gut has a lot to do with what's happening in our brain. So how the brain is signaling the body, it's all intertwined. It cannot be separated. Wow. That three-pound bowling ball that we have on top of our heads, because that's how much our brain weighs, is not separate. It's all interconnected. And I think that's, what's, I think that's fascinating. And it's certainly in the past 10 years, 32,000 studies have been done on nutrition in the brain, and half of those studies have been done in the last five years. Wow. And I think it's very empowering because what we're hearing now, for example, um, diseases like Alzheimer's and all sorts of dementias. Or are autism, or, I mean, those are all heavily on yes, the rise, right? All of these spectrum disorders, all of these, the dementias, All of these are at an all-time high. And now we're starting to see that, you know what, maybe some food intervention mm -hmm. really makes a difference. And certainly we're starting to see that about depression. And certainly we're just, we, you know, if you are eating a tremendous amount of processed foods and, and a lot of sugar, you're going to kind of feel fuzzy-headed. You know, so right. food and our mental clarity, all of those things, it's, it, they can't be separated anymore. So that was the driving force for me. It's like, aha, sure. you know, and I love to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, as you say, if food can positively affect the 
the longevity and in this case the mental health and status, so must then a poor diet affect our mental health. And it's interesting, we hear more and more reports about food having a direct effect on autism. It is a fascinating field, and we want to talk about the areas of mind that can be affected in just a minute when we come back. Brain food, the smartest diet for your mind, our topic in this hour. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us on the phone from San Rafael, California, is Rebecca Katz, really the authority of functional foods also the author of The Longevity Kitchen. We had an amazing episode with Rebecca a few months back, Eat Well, Live Long, Foods for Longevity, and also the author of The Cancer Fighting Kitchen, One Bite at a Time. Rebecca, stay with us. And when we come back, we want to talk about mood, memory, and mental clarity of how to address those. We're right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And on the phone with us from San Rafael, California, is Rebecca Katz, the authority on functional foods in this hour on mental health. So Rebecca, right before the break, we were starting, you were starting to, to foreshadow some of the ways that brain function can be influenced by the foods we eat. And, and three areas that are focused on in your book are mood, memory, and mental clarity. So let's start with the first. Let's start with mood. What foods have you found to be the best for enhancing or improving mood? I think one of the most obvious foods, I just have to start with it, would be chocolate. Because I don't want people to feel like um, they have to be deprived. Um, but 70% cacao or higher. And I think it's just interesting because chocolate increases the endorphins throughout the brain that give us those pleasurable feelings and a sense of well-being. And it contains a chemical that enhances mood and it creates that delightful and dizzy feeling of falling in love. Chocolate has a long history of also being known as an aphrodisiac, which is why from the Aztecs to the, Ro the Romans. So that's why, you know, chocolate is sort of the Valentine's mm -hmm. um, food. But a little bit of chocolate, it tends to put us in a, in a good mood, and it's really high in antioxidants. And then I wanted to say that another really great mood that is good not only for mood, but for cognitive functioning and for learning and for stress busting is pumpkin seeds. Huh. And 
I think that pumpkin seeds, they're these teeny little things, um, they're packed with a punch of what of the trio that I was talking about, about magnesium and uh, potassium and, and zinc, high, very high in zinc. And um, they're like nature's smallest antidepressant next to a snowflake. Um, and they, they also contain glutamate, which produces GABA, a chemical that fights stress in the brain. So, you know, we were talking about that slump at 3 o'clock where you may be stressed out because it's kind of a crazy day and your blood sugar is falling a little bit and you want to reach for something. And I would vote for pumpkin seeds, for I, sure. I love that you gave that example because it just brought back into my own memory. When I was an undergrad and I had a class on the seven ancient wonders of the world that started like at 2.40 in the afternoon. I loved this class so much and I could not stay awake. And it had nothing to do with the subject matter because I was so fascinated. And it was the time of day. And I remember I kept trying to think of like, what could I take with me to get me to focus? And I got pumpkin seeds. And I think the the reason I got it was because I thought if I was like shelling the seeds or if I gave myself some kind of activity that would keep me really alert, then I would be able to stay awake for the class. But it might have been exactly this thing you're talking about, the way that we're attracted to foods without even knowing why, but they're going to help us. And you just remembered that story. So even just talking about pumpkin seeds <laughs> already makes your brain sharper. Rebecca, just to be sure we cover mood, memory, and mental clarity, uh, is there a list? Uh, in your book where you can say, you know, yes, pumpkin seeds, chocolate for mood, a few other examples. and Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So um, another thing that's really great for cognitive functioning and, and, and mood would be avocados. And, and listen, I have a culinary pharmacy that lists all of the like more than 85 ingredients, every ingredient that's used in the book is in the culinary pharmacy. And it will say, buy the food, for example, exactly what it does. And it will have, like, this is really good for cognitive functioning. This is really good for memory. Um, for example, lentils are really good for learning. So that you learn why in the book lentils are really good for Learning. So, so every food has a, you know, plays a very important role. And there are studies that are li listed in the culinary pharmacy. And what this does is it really empowers the reader to say, wow, you know what? I'm eating this dish. It tastes really amazing. And by the way, it does all these things for me. I love that you. I love that you do that, and that's something that I love about all of your books is the culinary pharmacy section and the way that you've approached it in this book about brain function in particular. It's laid out in a in a way that's very clear to understand, and I'm looking right now at the section about lentils because you mentioned it, and right below it is mint, and that was something that I was going to ask you about because it was another thing that I used to do in high school. Whenever I had to go take a test, I used to take mints with me because I had learned somewhere, read somewhere, that um, mint helped you helped your memory. So I thought, oh, how great. I'll take peppermints with me to my test so I can access all of those, all that data that I stored. Can you share some of your favorite foods for memory? Is mint one of yes. them? <laughs> mint is by far fabulous for memory, as is rosemary, as is saffron, as in wild salmon 
sardines, all the white fishes, mm. um, even things like raisins. Or I know you're going to think this is kind of crazy, but all the dark leafy greens, you won't think this is crazy, but all the dark leafy greens are really helpful for memory. Um, and they, they tend to act in all the cruciferous vegetables, like cauliflower, which looks like a brain, so of course it's going to be a brain food. But all of those cruciferous vegetables and dark leafy greens are excellent for memory. They act like little vacuum cleaners. So when, um, when we come to, to fish and understand the fatty acids, that all makes sense. What do these foods have in common with, for example, saffron? Why, why those spices and herbs? What do these foods have in common that makes them good for memory? Well, it's interesting that you would ask that. So we talk about fishes, we're definitely talking about the omega-3 fatty acids. When we get into herbs and spices, like mint, rosemary, and then spices like saffron, cinnamon, all of those things, we tend to forget that spices have, pinch for pinch, more vitamin C and more antioxidants than a cup of kale if you were, if you were breaking it up. So herbs and spices have tremendous amount of phytonutrients in it, um, like curcumin or turmeric would be one of those that would be in that category. Saffron and turmeric hmm. kind of, they go together. So all of these herbs and spices, they are plant foods. So anything that is a plant food is undoubtedly good for our, our minds. And certainly all of this crosses over, not just for our brain health and our memories, um, but also just our whole body health because they all function in different ways. Like they function differently for the mind than they do um, maybe, you know, they have different benefits maybe in terms of being a cancer-fighting spice. But they, at the end of the day, they're just loaded. And I think it's important for people to realize that using herbs and spices counts as part of eating plants. Mm -hmm. And it makes your food taste wonderful. There was one statement that you were just saying about cruciferous vegetables. You said they act like little vacuum cleaners. What do you mean by that? Well, the brain, like other parts of the body, collects free radicals. So uh, there's, you know, a little rusting going on in there. And cruciferous vegetables, just like they do when we're talking about longevity, they go in and act like vacuum cleaners to clean up the debris that is kind of happening in our brain from all of the thinking that we're doing or the fact that we're overstretched over everything, overloaded, and also how we clear, which is why sleep is so important in terms of brain health because the brain needs to rest in order to keep moving and regenerating mm. and cleaning up. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the role of cruciferous vegetables mm -hmm. throughout the body. So it, again, it's like the, it's no different for the brain that those foods are really powerful. I mean, I, I apologize for that comparison, but it sounds like when you, when you run a scan check on your computer, I don't know if it's hardware or software, the brain in comparison, but it basically finds the spaces and everything that happened while you were using your computer for a year or two when you did it the last time. 
and taking out everything that's not needed, all the, the little errors and the miscalculations to start free. It sounds like cruciferous vegetables do that for our mind. Is that right? I think it's a great example. <laughs> Brilliant, actually. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so German example. sometimes. Well, and, and I have to say, I, you know, we've got the book with us in the studio right now. I'm looking at this gorgeous cover photo on the Healthy Mind Cookbook, and I can see red cabbage in addition to cilantro and mint and cashews. And there are so many things in this photo alone. And, you know, Helga, you were just talking about the, or Rebecca and Helga, you're both talking about the cruciferous, and I see the cabbage. And, and you were also, Rebecca, talking about the the herbs and spices as being just the things that make your food so delicious. And that's something about, I mean, we talk about you as a foremost authority on functional foods, but you are a chef. It is also about the flavor. If it doesn't taste phenomenal, then you're not going to eat it. Then what's the point? And, you know, we did an episode on grilling recently, and I, I pulled out your your FAS, you know, F-A-S-S acronym about how to, you know, make a little check mark of have you gotten all the flavors into your marinade. And that's something that comes up in every one of your books. They're delicious. And that's where we want to go next, which is the delicious ways to prepare and integrate these foods that are good for your brain into just like you said at the top of the of the hour was at three o'clock when you start to lose focus. This is the perfect time to snack on nuts and seeds. So what else? What are some other delicious ways to integrate brain boosting foods throughout your day? Well, for example, almonds. You can eat almonds, or you could create a little mini almond muffin, which would be very simple. It would be, you know, almonds. You create a batter with almonds and egg, and instead of maybe making them really sweet, you would keep the sugar really super, super low, and you would add pear and rosemary. And mm. you, they're little, and you can make them and you can freeze them. And there could be your 3 o'clock snack right there on your desk. Or you could take pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, and sunflower seeds, which are like the three powerhouses, and you could make, um, add some spices like allspice and cinnamon and ginger, and then toss that with a little bit of maple syrup and bake it so it's like a little brittle that you have that you can um, mix in your yogurt or just nibble on at 3 o'clock when you feel like you want something that's a little sweet, savory, and a little bit pick-me-up. Or one of my favorites in, you know, I always had this chapter called dollops, is to take mint and parsley with lemon, olive oil, and a little bit of sea salt and waz it up in a little mini prep, Cuisinard, right? So it's like this, this nice kind of sauce. And I, I call it my everything drizzle. And I drizzle that on salmon, on vegetables. I call it edible makeup. So, you know, <laughs> you can take those things and let's say you are grilling, right? And let's say you're grilling some fish and you take it off the grill and you put that drizzle on it and it wakes up the food. So all of a sudden those bright flavors of the, of the mint and the parsley are working not only on your brain but on your taste buds. They're just it's like they're tickling your taste buds. They're making things taste brighter. You've got a little bit of the fat in the olive oil, you've got all those that brightness of the mint and the parsley. 
and a little bit of salt in there, and then you've got, it cuts that nice fattiness of the fish. All of a sudden, you've dressed up your food. So that's, those are just little examples. But throughout the book, I start off with soups, because that's where I live mm-hmm. as a cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I move on to vegetables, which I think are really, you know, when we're talking about brain food, you know, we're talking about what are we going to do with vegetables? How are we going to, what are we going to do with that cauliflower that's like so big that, you know, I, you open up the refrigerator, it's enough to make you want to close the refrigerator. <laughs> what do I do with it? For example, it can be roasted, but I chose to do a couple of different things. In this book, I did a cauliflower tabbouleh. Um, so instead of using a grain, I used cauliflower and I dressed it up with turmeric and again, lots of mint and parsley and lemon zest and herbs and some cucumbers and cherry tomatoes and all of a sudden you've got this really cool summer salad using cauliflower. Amazing. And you don't feel like I'm eating cauliflower. Yes. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, you're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we are speaking with Rebecca Katz, really the expert on functional foods and the author of several cookbooks including The Longevity Kitchen, The Cancer-Fighting Kitchen, and One Bite at a Time, and her newest book, The Healthy Mind Cookbook. Rebecca, your website is um, Rebecca and then Katz, K-A-T-Z dot com. We're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, if you uh, what, what was your intention with the book? Are you trying to just, just quote-unquote, create a much, much greater awareness around the function for the brain of healthy eating? Or do you feel there is a group of mind-supporting foods that are different or not maybe as emphasized in even healthy diet cookbooks that you felt was important to point out? Wow, this is a good question. I'm going to try and answer it quickly. I think that Whenever we're eating whole foods in all their glory, we're doing really good things for our whole body and for our brain as well. I think that there are all stars for the brain that it's nice to highlight. But what I realized when I did this cookbook and having done this cookbook and the other ones is that there is this running theme that all of these foods cross-pollinate in terms of being anti-inflammatory and just all over good for our overall health. And the other thing that, that I want to point out is that these are foods that you can find every day. So mm. it's not like the eye of newt. Nice. You know, these are not, <laughs> sure. these are, these are, you know, <laughs> these are foods that are, that you can incorporate. So I think It's interesting to group, sometimes group foods, because certainly these, although they have, they cross the lines and they do many things for our body, I think it's really interesting right now for people who might not be thinking about longevity, let's say, or might not be thinking about cancer, but they might be thinking about their brain and wanting to feel better. So maybe it's a point of entry, which is, I think, um, a good way to put it. You know, wherever you feel comfortable entering, you're always going to find beautiful whole foods that are 
going to service whatever it is that you're thinking about in terms of integrating good, healthy eating into your life so yeah. that it's joyful and sustainable. And give the foods the credit they deserve. I mean, the more yes. attributes and, and benefits we can layer that are now coming out with new studies. You said half of all the studies on brain health and food connection were done in the last five years. That's just astonishing. So as we learn more about the benefits of a healthy diet. I hope there are many more books that you will consider writing. Again, that's Rebecca Katz calling today from San Rafael, California, to talk about her new book, The Healthy Mind Cookbook, Rebecca Katz, K-A-T-Z.com, her website. Thank you so much for making the time, Rebecca. And uh, I know I'm sure you're calling from your kitchen and you're just turning around to prepare another healthy meal. <laughs> One day will come and visit. That would be wonderful. I would love to have you. Thanks for being on the show. It's a total pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Bye. 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 Oh, fun. (laughs) Delicious and enlightening. You know, every I've 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 known of Rebecca's work since I got into the industry. I mean, she's she's one of the pioneers. And Every t- I mean, it amazes me, these cookbooks that she comes out with that are so delicious, and they introduce this new way of looking at food to support your health. But uh, even just this concept of fast, of fat, acid, sweet, and salt as the combination oh, you want to put in. Exactly. I realized yes, yes, after yes. I said it that I didn't fast. explain what F-A-S-S they were. Yeah, but it's like a mental checklist to make sure that you've got all of the flavors into round. And basically, if you use that formula in conjunction with the list from her culinary pharmacy of all of the foods that are good for mental health, you're going to create something that's delicious and supportive. It's it's a beautiful yes. cookbook. Fat, acid, sweet, and salt. That's correct. Nice. Yes, Rebecca Katz on Brain Food, the smartest diet for your mind. And while the layers of benefits of eating a healthy local organic diet are endless, really, it's just a question of how much we find out and what amount of time. But yes, and her books have been celebrated in culinary schools and holistic nutrition universities. It was, I think, the first book I got when I studied holistic nutrition was Rebecca Katz. Mm. Wonderful. And we are staying with the topic of a healthy diet. Here is What's in Season. And with us now is the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. And actually not on the phone. Mm. He's in the studio. This is like, what, how many yeah, weeks uh, now in the studio? You uh, just Again and again. <laughs> Love it. What yeah, is in season, good. Earl? This, I mean, everything uh-huh. is in season, but yeah, what yeah. What's yeah. stands out and why? This time of year is so fascinating because there's so many choices. And what we're going to talk about today, and we'll talk about in some months to come because the season's really just starting or in, at least in its first quarter, and that's heirloom tomatoes. And mm-hmm. you know you can find them probably year-round, different areas being hothouse grown and whatever. But right now is when they're coming out of the open field. Uh, the abundance is just hitting stride, and we'll co- it'll go until really the, the rains come and knock it out in the cold weather. October. Yeah, probably October. Oh, it'd be great if it was October. Because yeah. yeah, sometimes we've had heirlooms uh, locally out of uh, uh, north of Santa Barbara all the way to Christmas before. Oh, that wow. kind of That speaks to the drought. Sure. So heirloom tomatoes, it's probably, I think it's been about the last 25 years that's really made its, its mark. 
uh, and that's from growers uh, keeping seeds, uh, talking to each other, getting on uh, uh, farmers' almanacs, and getting very sp- uh, specialized seed catalogs. And, uh, and heirloom tomatoes uh, got to be open pollinated and at least 50 years old. So that's kind of the loose def- definition. And they are wonderful. And there's several different reasons. One is that they're so fragile. Because they're so fragile. Well, tomatoes are fragile anyway, and these are even more fragile because they've been, I guess, orchestrated to, to, to be understood that you got to pick them ripe. There is no legs. Early picking. Yeah, there's no oh, legs really? to it, if you will. Mm. So for us, we ship them up daily from, this, from uh, Buellton, which is north of Santa Barbara, and we will sell those in one or two days. And there's a huge amount of loss to the grower. The grower throws away at least half of his pro- of the product that he grows. Mm. Now that's not all, all thrown away, it's composted, it's fed to, fed to farm animals and any number of things, but that's to uh, give a perspective as to how fragile this is and what it really, really takes and the commitment that it takes. It's interesting though with, with heirloom tomatoes that it's one of those crops that can show us how diversity can bounce back, right? Absolutely. It just really started, as you said, 20, maybe 25 years ago, but really recently in this generation where people, because of our love, genetic love for tomatoes, most gardeners love tomatoes, right? Homegrown tomatoes, there are songs no. about it. So there's something about tomatoes just like uh, apples, perhaps, as a as a f- fruit item for us so close to home, and everyone has maybe their first fruit experience is either tomato or an apple, where tomatoes are now available in dozens of varieties if you have a good store, or at least accessible through seeds and gardening clubs and, you know, backyard gardens and, and such, and amazing varieties and unbelievable flavor. I mean, there's almost, you know, there's nothing against a big red slice of tomato, but if you really dive into a a perfectly ripe heirloom tomato world, it's mind-blowing. It's like chocolate. There are some varieties yeah. that don't even really taste like tomatoes. They're, they're so refined and beautiful. That is what we want to encourage in, in so many other crops, right? When you talk about the loss of diversity and one, you know, a green apple and a red apple, and that's basically what we're left with. And it's wonderful to see how a crop can bounce back if it's loved enough. Yeah, and it, it points to uh, keeping your seeds, you know, growing growing them for seed and, and keeping them and sharing them with your other, other gardeners. I mean, almost anybody I know that is growing that has a garden has tomato plants. I mean, that is the prize thing to go out and just wait until that piece or those pieces of fruit are ready and pick them and go inside immediately, or probably won't even last till it goes, gets mm-hmm. inside. Uh, it is truly there's nothing else like it as as you all know. So really, farmers markets are wonderful in that in that way because they're picking them that, that morning and, and getting them to the market. And of course, ask for samples when you're in your store and ask about them. If there's not enough variety, if they're not carrying them, ask about them. You know, that's, that's one way to promote that. And there are endless, again, endless varieties as they pop up. And, and many of them are very local to, where, to the area itself, what, what has been known to grow well. And there have been some that are, that are kind of poster boys or poster girls with you that are very, very popular. That's a Brandywine, uh, Cherokee Purple. Those are the, you know, two real big ones. Black Creme. Black, 
exactly, and and for and for right for the right ways for the right purposes because they are so flavorful, mm-hmm. and they're so colorful and different. I mean, they're they're gnarly looking. I mean, the first couple of years we had it was incredibly difficult to sell them because they look so different. They're grooved and ridged and and oblong and different shapes, and they're gigantic. But you kept doing it, and now that's what people are looking for, right? Oh, absolutely. The, the weirder the shape, the better they know it will f- taste almost. So it, it has changed in the consciousness of of people and, and just with the loss you were talking about that they're really fragile um, many growers use the ones that are maybe not quite up for for sale to take the seeds out and then ferment the seeds and yeah. dry them to for the next crop i know a grower big shout out to marty jacobson and all-star organic and janet brown they keep intentionally a portion of their harvest every year and, mm-hmm. and you know plug the seeds with tweezers to create a new crop next for, for next year and if that variety is gone there's no more commercially available seed of that variety available so this they yes. are basically holding the history of that seed on their farm absolutely that's incredible it's there's wonderful. you'll see heirloom at uh, pasta sauce and tomato sauce out there now yeah people are doing what what they know what to do now you can kind of break them down into different categories and that's kind of the the pink and the red and the and the and the purple and the dark ones and then the green ones and then the white ones and every category has its own flavor the the darker ones uh, like the black creme or the Cherokee purple they have more of some people say earthy and smoky flavor the pink and the red ones have more of a but people would say a classic tomato flavor. The the green ones are low acid with with certain uh, citrus highlights, and then the white ones, which really aren't necessarily white, they're kind of pale yellow. They are really subacid, and some people say those are the sweetest ones. So it is fascinating the different varieties out there. Make sure you interact with your produce people to to encourage them to get what you want because. They want to. They want to have what you want because they know you're going to buy it. And of course, the <laughs> the flavor depends on what you want to do with them. Sita, the world of tomatoes, as enticing and as wonderful as kind of little tricky now with all those varieties, to know what to use for what kind of dish. No. Tricky or not tricky? I mean, as you guys are talking, I'm just like, I'm, my eyes are glossed over. I am dazed. Yeah, I thought you were my, falling asleep. No, but no. I, was, I was in my like dream reverie of heirloom tomato seasons gone by because I remember, I mean, when I first was introduced to, to heirlooms, I thought, oh my gosh, that I don't want to put this in anything. I literally just want like a steak knife and a fork and a little bit of sea salt. And I'm just yeah. going to cut into this and eat it like it were my entree because it is so meaty and satisfying. And then I've talked on the show before about saving the trimmings from your carrots and your onions and your celery and everything and putting it into a bag that you keep in your freezer. And when it's full, you use it to make stock. I do the same thing with my tomatoes because particularly with heirlooms and there are those kind of like you said, Earl, gnarly pieces that you're going to cut out because they're a little bit rougher or brown or or whatever that is that are tougher to eat or don't have the same flavor. You cut around it so that you can serve the heirloom in all of its edible glory, but there's still so much flavor in the pieces that you cut out in yeah. the core and in the, those other pieces. And I put those into my bag and save that for stock. And then my stock takes on all of these wonderful complex flavors of sweet and smoky that you get. So, you know, you, you can, if you want, just experiment and pick up the different colors and see which flavors you like and use them from different dishes or just throw them together and see what it's like. Oh, Earl and I are glossing over <laughs> one. 
wonderful. <laughs> now you know what it was like to listen to you. Yes. Thank you, Earl, for right. coming I in. Wanna, I yes. want to mention a couple yeah. quick sure. things and how, how to choose a, a tomato. You want to have it be heavy for its size. You know, pick it up and let it weigh out. It should be full dynamic color. Now, obviously, if it's a pale, uh, a, a light yellow one, then, you know, it's going to be a little different, but you're still going to see that ripeness. Shiny, perky. Yeah, yeah, you're looking for ripeness. And, of course, you never refrigerate a tomato. And also, Earl, um, like you've taught us before, store them on your counter upside down. Yes, upside down. Tomatoes, thank you. Thanks (laughs) for coming to the studio, Earl. Earl. Well, as always, an absolutely packed hour. Healthy food, healthy food, healthy food. (laughs) Is that the theme? That's always the theme. Well, and and please do send us your thoughts and photos of food and all kinds of things that relate to your healthy life and the way you're sharing it. You can email us from tomato pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Heirloom tomato recipes, anything, anything that's inspiring you. We would love to see it on our Facebook page or tweet us. We are at Talk Organic. Hashtag an organic conversation. We'll see you next week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.